Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Look at three or four people around you and say, He is alive today. He is alive today. Tell somebody, and you can be seated all over the room. Welcome to City of Life Church. Happy Easter. Those of you that are watching online, those of you that are here, squeezed in the room. We appreciate you being here today. I got news for you. God is in this place today, and uh, there's something to be excited about. Church is a place that you can come to change, and that's okay. It's okay to know that you need to change. I remember when I was younger, uh, the specific time when I was just a teenager, I went to a department store, and I saw some clothes that were very expensive. I could not afford these clothes. But you know what I did? I went in the dressing room and I tried them on. And I came out of the dressing room and the guy that was working there, he said, hey man, you can't afford that. That's like, that's like $5,000 worth of clothes. And I said, I, I said I'll, I'll be able to afford it someday. And I just, I wanted to see what it looked like. I knew that I couldn't afford it. But see, I think church in some way is like that. What do you have to do in a dressing room? In a changing room, you have to take off the old clothes and you have to put on something new in order to see what it's like. In the case of church, what you're doing is you're saying, there's a way that I've been living, I don't wanna look like that anymore because it doesn't work, it doesn't suit me. But in fact, there's something that I want from my life, I'm ready to put on something that is much more expensive. And the thing with living for God and having holiness and righteousness and the kind of life that pleases God, you can't afford that outfit. But you know what's good about church? is this is a place where you can come and try on something that's priceless. And Jesus says, you know what? It looks great on you, but you don't have to pay for it. I already paid for it. It's, it's on me. You wear that and you take that out of here. And I believe that a lot of people are in for a big change today. Look at someone next to you and say, you might change today. Come, actually, look at that same person and say, by the way, your clothes look great as they are. But say, I'm talking about a spiritual change. We're talking about a spiritual change. So I welcome all of you today. This has been a phenomenal weekend so far. Um, you know, I just, Thursday night, we had our Maundy Thursday uh, small group curriculum uh, where it's a, like a foot washing curriculum that really emulates what Jesus did on that amazing night where he washed the disciples' feet. Uh, then on Friday, we had our Good Friday ser service. This room was almost full. Uh, yesterday morning, we had our helicopter candy drop. Over 1,000 people were here. Over 400 children and parents lifted their hands and got saved yesterday. Prayed the sinner's prayer yesterday at our helicopter candy drop. It was incredible. Last night, we had a phenomenal first Easter experience service. So many people here. Uh, first service was packed out today. Uh, many lives changed in that. And I believe that we're going to close out here today uh, with the best one yet. Uh, because I believe that God is not done. I believe there are some people here that you might have already given up in some ways on how your life is going to turn out. You might think you know how the story is going to end. My dad, the founder of City of Life, when he was a young man about 16 years old, actually I wrote a movie about this <laughs> that, that is being sold right now and, and, and we're working out a deal to have this in theaters by the end of this year. Uh, but this story, not, I mean, I'm not saying that for you to clap. I'm just saying that it's, it's, I'm just thinking out loud. Wow, they're going to actually get to see this story. When he was 16, a tragic event took place in his life. And he got blamed for something by a church leader publicly that humiliated him and brought a lot of shame in his life. It's something he didn't even do. 
And he was a good boy, grew up in church, loved God. But he got so angry at God and at people that he drove off from that place and started cursing. He'd never even said a curse word in his entire life. He just started cursing God, cursing the church, cursing people that had hurt him. And he turned away from God, joined a rock and roll band, toured, played with bands like the Rolling Stones all through the Southeast, was on CBS Records in this band, was addicted to drugs, sex, rock and roll, had money, was on stages all over the, all over the Southeastern United States, and got caught with drugs in his car and was facing 25 years in jail. And he was in a jail cell, they had the evidence, and he just said, he got tired, he said, God, I'm so sick of where this life has taken me without you. If you give me a second chance, I'll preach, I'll tell people anything you want me to tell them about you. And in that jail cell, God changed his life around. The judge threw out all the charges, dismissed all the evidence, and actually gave my dad a second chance, gave him an opportunity. But if you would have looked at him in that moment of his life, the trajectory of his life, you might have judged his story and said, I know where this is going. He's headed for disaster. I got news for you. Never judge a story until it's experienced the power of the resurrection. And when the, the power of the resurrection is the thing that has the ability to change anyone's story. And we're going to talk about the power of the resurrection today because it's Easter Sunday. And I just got news for you. If you think you know how your story is going to end, look at someone next to you and say, watch till the end. Watch till the end. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Verses 54 through 56 will be our text for today. And it says this, then when our dying bodies, by the way, I don't know what kind of church you come from, but I know this is a church right here. You may have grown up Catholic, Baptist, you may have been an atheist, you may have gone to Presbyterian, Methodist, you may have been charismatic, Pentecostal. I don't know, maybe you grew up in church saying, Gloria a Dios, la presencia del Señor está aquí. Uh, you know, I'm not sure, hallelujah, whatever, uh, for you from New York, Puerto Rico, I don't care where you're from. All I know is that City of Life on Easter Sunday, we say some hallelujahs and we shout praise the Lord up in this joker. We're going to have some church today because Jesus is a Alive. We're going to get vocal up in here. So I'm expecting some hearty hallelujahs up in here today. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. Here's the line that you can celebrate on. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah today. We have victory over sin. Victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your presence here today. I pray that lives are transformed in this room. People watching online all over the world, their lives will be transformed by the power of the resurrection, the power that can only come through Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Welcome, 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 welcome. Jesus suffered unimaginably during this week, and when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray about the events that were about to unfold, he had been predicting that he was going to die. He knew that he was going to be captured, punished, and killed. And it was all part of his plan, the reason that he came to earth. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you remember, he began to pray, and the Bible says that his sweat became as great drops of blood. It's a very odd thing. To imagine sweating, I was sweating in the first service, but I wasn't bleeding. 
uh, through my sweat, his, his sweat turned into blood. And that's a medical condition that the Journal of American Medical Association calls hematridosis. And that's when you literally are so stressed out, they'll find us in situations with hostages where they know they're going to die and their, their capillaries burst and blood comes through their sweat glands. That's how stressed Jesus was, not about simply dying. He wasn't afraid. He was taking the collective weight of humanity's emotions upon himself in preparation to go to the cross in our stead, vicariously, in our place, to take the punishment that we deserved upon himself. It started in the garden. Then he got betrayed with a kiss by one of his closest friends, Judas. Then Jesus goes to the Sanhedrin. The ruling faction of 70 different people who hated him because he was claiming to be God. And they judged him and sent him to Pilate. And Pilate, the Roman leader, looks at him and he goes, what is all this stuff about him saying to be God? I don't really know anything about this Jewish stuff. That's all you guys. I'm, I'm a Roman leader. Send him over to this other leader, Herod, to judge him. I don't know what this is all about. So they send him over to Herod. Herod says the same thing. This is, it really doesn't concern me. Send him back to Pilate. So they send him back to Pilate. And Pilate says, look, I find no fault in this man. Uh, what, what should I do with him? They say, crucify him. So Jesus, so Jesus is crucified. And Pilate says, I, I tell you what, you all, always release one person once a year. We've got this murderer named Barabbas. Do you want me to release Barabbas or release Jesus? They say, release Barabbas and crucify Jesus. So Jesus, an innocent man, gets put on a cross and murdered. But before he does, he gets sent to a place called Gabbatha where Pilate has him whipped. And he's whipped with a cat of nine tails on his back. And his back is just open and bleeding. And a lot of historians say that many people died from way less lashes than Jesus received, just of the blood loss. He's fulfilling Isaiah 53 and 5 in the Old Testament, which says, He will be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. That was a fulfillment of that. Then he, he moves on to carry his own cross. And he carries his own cross to a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull, where he is then put on the cross, and, and his, his hands and his feet are pierced, and he's hung in front of two criminals in between two criminals and crucified. One of the most brutal, the Romans had perfected crucifixion, what is the most, it's the most brutal form of death that keeps you alive for the longest. And you actually die of asphyxiation. Your, your, your lungs compress and you have to push up on your wounds to breathe and you run out of energy and you can't. And you die of lack of oxygen typically. And he dies at three o'clock on Friday. The Bible says that when he died, the sky went dark and earthquakes started taking place. And one of the things that happened that's incredible is the Bible says that the veil of the temple, in the Jewish temple, the veil was the area that separated the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was, from the common people. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And isn't it interesting that the moment Jesus died, the veil is physically split in two which is representative of the fact that because Jesus died for our sins, we then forevermore would have access to the presence of God. That the temple would not be a place that we have to go, but we would become the temple of the Holy Spirit where he would fill us with the Holy Spirit. So all of this stuff happens, then Jesus is dead. And 
He is placed in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, who is a secret follower of Jesus from the Sanhedrin. That sets the scene for the scriptures I'm about to read right now, which says that the next day, Matthew 27, 62, says the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. So the people that had Jesus killed went to Pilate, who commanded Jesus' death, the Roman leader, and said, Sir... We remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. And this last deception will be worse than the first. So so, so do you see what's happening? The people that condemned him to die start getting a little freaked out. They're like, this dude has resurrected some other people. He might be telling the truth. So like they come up, they're now getting nervous. They're like, can you seal the tomb? Can you send a guard over there or something? And then they come up with the excuse of maybe his disciples are going to steal him. And then they'll tell people he's resurrected. And even if we don't see him, they'll pretend he was resurrected. And it's going to make us look bad. So Pilate says, take a guard. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. We continue in Matthew 28. It says, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. This is 2,000 years ago today. A violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone. I like this angel right here because he's a little swaggy. I'm just going to be honest with you. It says he rolls back the stone and sat on it. That's kind of hot right there, right? He rolls back the stone and he doesn't just like point at anything. He sits on it. He's like, what's up? He's on the stone. This is hot, man. He's like moving this away so Jesus can be revealed. And, And all of a sudden it says... Uh, he, he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid. Can you imagine if you're the guards and you're guarding this tomb and an angel comes down from heaven, rolls it away, sits on it. They were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They will see me. I say all these things. And I want to read that story to set up exactly what happened for Jesus to be resurrected and to sort of paint a backdrop about his sufferings that he did all of those things so that he could overcome sin and death. Now, we're all in church, and my dad always said growing up, tell the truth in church, so we got to tell the truth. So I'm about to ask you a question. How many people in this room have definitely sinned before? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, and for all of you that didn't raise your hand, now raise your hand because not raising your hand the first time is the official sin that qualifies you to, to uh, raise your hand at this time. So, so uh, everyone has sinned. The Bible says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it started from the beginning where God makes the Garden of Eden and simply gives Adam and Eve 
a single command. He says, there's this one tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree. And it's like the only rule in the world is don't eat from this tree. And they do, that's like someone taking you on a brand new cruise ship and like saying, you have access to every floor, every room, every buffet. This whole ship is yours. Just don't go in this one room. And what do you do? You go, I'm going to go into room. You know, it's like that's the one thing that you do. That is us as human beings. We do the thing that God tells us not to do. And that's what sin is. It's an inability to live up to the standard that God has set for us. Sometimes we think sin is just simply this thing that's evil or bad or mean. No, it's failing to meet the perfect standard that God has. Sin actually means missing the mark of perfection. Almost like a target. If your aim is the, the dead sinner, that's what God demands is the dead sinner. Even a bullseye a little bit to the, to the right. Just a millimeter. If it's not the dead center of what God wants, it is sin according to God. And this is something that we have to understand if you're going to get this message today. Because this message is about Jesus defeating sin and death in your life. And we have a second chance because he defeated sin and death. No person has ever been sinless. As a matter of fact, it would take a sinless person in order for all of humanity to be forgiven. And if that person were to meet those standards, they'd have to be so righteous that they could take the sins of humanity upon themselves and bring atonement. That word atonement means at one. That's the way it's spelled, at one meant. It's bringing back together man and God. Jesus came and lived the perfect life we couldn't live to bring us at one once again with God the Father because sin is that thing that separates. You go, well, children don't sin, they're perfect. Well, you've never had children if you said that. <laughs> you don't have to teach kids to want to keep something to themselves. You actually have to teach them to share because they want to keep everything to themselves. We're born into a life of sin. This person would have the power, if they could be sinless, not only to pay the penalty of death, but he would have victory over sin and over death. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was completely sinless. He had all power, all authority, and he showed us his authority over death multiple times. We see Jesus raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. She had already completely died, and he raised her. We see him raising the son of the widow of Nain at his funeral. This boy was dead at his funeral. They're, they're carrying him. And he goes, get up. And we also see him raising Lazarus. Lazarus has already been dead for four days. He is in his grave rotting. People could smell him. They're like, don't even go over there. He's, you don't want to go near him. And Jesus said, no, let me do my thing. Jesus showed his authority over death even during his life. But here's what's interesting. Have you ever thought about this? All the people that he raised eventually died again. Did you ever think about that? It's sort of like, what's the point of raising them if they're just going to die again? The point is, all of them had experienced sin in their body. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is what? The wages. So let's think about that for a moment. What does that mean? It means that sin is the employer. So that means that we work for one of two things. Either we work for sin. You don't have an option to work for yourself. Either you work for sin or you work for righteousness. And if you participate in sin, 
What sin pays out every two weeks on Friday on payday in your paycheck that you take to M. Scott sometimes. What it pays out to you, it pays out in the currency that it pays in is death. You will die. You will experience death if you sin. That is the wages that sin pays out. And you know, the grave for Jesus was supposed to be the end of the story. And they were, he was supposed to be done once he went to the grave. But not with Jesus. Because Colossians 1.18 says he's the head of the body. The church. And he's the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have supremacy. You say, well, he wasn't the firstborn from the dead. Jairus' daughter was. Uh, he raised her first. Well, no, she died again. Uh, he's, the, uh, he's the firstborn that was raised under his own power and never died again. He was raised under his own power and never died again. Uh, John 10, 17, Jesus talks about this power. He says, the reason my father loves me is I lay down my life only to take it up again. Nobody takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I've got the authority to take it up again. He's saying, I've got this power within me because I'm God. So let's ask a question that maybe you've never thought about before. Where was Jesus on those three days that he was dead? Where was he? The moment that he died and his spirit left this earth in the way that our spirit resides in our bodies, when it says that he gave up his spirit, where did he go? I think that's important because in your life, you may think the story has a certain ending. And when Jesus died and hung his head on that cross, people thought the story had a certain ending. When he was put in the tomb and the tomb was sealed, people thought the story had a certain ending. But where did he go? Well, the Bible tells us in Luke 16, tells us a parable of a rich man and a man named Lazarus. Not the one that Jesus raised, but a different Lazarus. Apparently this was a very popular name back then. But this rich man said he had everything in life that life had to offer. And Lazarus had nothing. He was a beggar that sat by the gates begging. And he had sores all over his body. And dogs licked his sores all day. He just had it really rough in life. But he was a righteous man. And it talks about both of them in the afterlife. We're in this place called Sheol. Or Hades. Or hell. Okay, so this is interesting that before Christ went to the cross and was resurrected, believers and non-believers went to Hades. But it's not as you think that the, the believers were tormented in Hades because it teaches us that in Hades, in this passage of scripture, you can read it for yourself in Luke 16, there was a chasm between an area where people that had rejected God were tormented and the area where Lazarus was called Abraham's bosom, where he was being comforted in the presence of Abraham and other saints. So he's in a, a happy place, although there are gates in this place, and it's a temporary holding place until the Messiah does his redemptive work on the cross and defeats sin and death once and forever. This is where Jesus went, is to Abraham's bosom. We know, because it says it in Scripture. I'll read it to you in just a moment. But Jesus goes to this area where all these people that believed in the Lord and believed in Jesus, Old Testament, you say, well, Jesus didn't appear until the New Testament. How could he believe him? Well, Jesus said about Moses, he said, Moses wrote about me a long time ago. People have known. Romans chapter 1, go watch our should series that we've done, talks about the fact that people understand even the Godhead, the nature of God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, simply by viewing creation. We know it by our conscience. 
You say, well, if they've never known about Jesus, how they confess? How do you know what God has revealed to somebody? God could reveal it in a dream. God could reveal it to them when they're by themselves in their own spirit. You don't judge things like that. What we know is that the Bible tells us that Jesus actually went to this place to take all the captives that were in that temporary holding spot, that Abraham's bosom, that were not in the presence of Jesus, and to take them and redeem them. And on Friday, when he got there, he said, man, this is where y'all hang out, huh? He's like, y'all ain't got nothing here. You ain't got no empanadas. You ain't got no, this ain't, I'm not feeling this. You ain't got no Four Rivers barbecue. Like, like we, we got to get some carbs up in here or something because this place needs some help. And then on Saturday, he's, you know, he's, he's there again. And he's like, well, I got to be in the grave for three days. And this might be a, a long day, but, you know, let, let's make the best of it. And then finally on Sunday, he looks around and everybody is there. And he said, is anybody else tired of being here? Because I'm ready to come out of that grave, and I, I'm going to take you with me. Come on, we're getting out of here. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9 says, listen to this closely, especially if you're wondering about what I'm teaching, because this is clear. It says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives. Captives from what? It says it. And gave gifts to people. And it explains it. Verse 9 says, what does he ascended mean except he also descended to the lower earthly regions? That's where he was when he went down there. So he went from the cross to take all of those people who were waiting for the Messiah, who had yet to be in the presence of Jesus, and to take them to the third heaven. By the way, now, if you are a person of faith and you believe in Christ, the moment that you close your eyes in this life, you are with Jesus instantly. There is no transition. You don't walk through a tunnel. Ain't nothing like that. You are simply in the presence. You don't go toward the light. You are with Jesus. Revelation 1.17 says, When I saw him, I fell down at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. How did he get the keys to Hades? Hades if he didn't go there he went there and took them himself and he said these belong to me now hell has no power over you I don't know where you grew up probably not where I grew up I grew up in Birmingham and I don't know how life is in New York or uh, in you know in Chicago or Puerto Rico or Dominican Republic. I don't know how you. But all I know is in, in Alabama we were a little bit rednecks, and I ran around all summer when I was a kid with no shoes on. I don't know why we used to play with no shoes on. And in the community that I lived in, you just used to run around all day. You got up in the morning, you went and played in the woods, and you rode your bikes, and you came back late in the, when it was getting dark and had dinner. And I was staying with my grandparents for this one summer when my parents were on a ministry trip, and I think I was about eight years old. And uh, I remember I was running outside in the front yard and I stepped on something and I thought I had stepped on a nail because my foot was just burning. It was like on fire. And all of a sudden my foot started swelling up and it swelled up to the size of a basketball. And it, I have never been, I've, I've never spent the night in a hospital in my entire life. I'm 49 years old. I've never, God has blessed me in my life to protect me. I've never been in the hospital before. But this is the only time I've ever been in the hospital because I found out that it was a bee. I stepped on a bee. And the stinger went deep into my foot, and I'm allergic to bees. I never knew it. So a bee sting can actually kill me. But I learned this about bees, that when a bee stings you, once it puts its stinger in you, it dies in about 30 minutes. I never knew that before. But as I was reading this, I learned that on the cross, 
death put its stinger deep into the heart of Jesus. And Jesus died on that cross. And the moment that he died, hell must have been going crazy. Hell must have been celebrating and absolutely just gloating over the fact that Jesus, the man that declared himself King of Kings and Lord of Lords, was now dead. And all, can you imagine the, the, the demons talking to each other? And he's in Hades too. Not only did he die, but he's in Hades. This is, it couldn't be going. And, and they sealed the tomb. Ain't nobody getting near that thing. It's sealed. They got guards. And, and they might have thought they knew how the story was going to turn out. Maybe you have judged your life already. And somebody else has judged your life. And just because of your circumstances that you're in right now. Or maybe you're far from God. And you're not feeling the God the way you did at one time in your life. And maybe you've already written off your future and judged your story well I got to tell you something don't judge the story because it ain't over yet you got to watch till the end you got to watch till the end and 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 it it looked like the story was over everybody was predicting the ending and you know there's this title watch to the end where it came from is a, a viral video I saw years ago had that phrase on it watch till the end and what was it it was kind of a boring video of something that was very stagnant that I never would have watched it just kept going and going, the same boring thing, but it said watch till the end. Then all of a sudden, after I watched and I watched and I watched, this is boring, where is this going? Is this anything ever gonna happen? Something really interesting happened at the end and I was glad I watched. Why does someone put that? They put that because they know if there's something interesting at the end, you'll stick around if you believe that a twist is coming. And in your life, I got news for you, don't give up on the story. God is not done with you. Look at five people around you. Say, God's not done with you. Come on, tell them. Say, God's not done with you. See, the guards thought they knew how the story would end. The Sanhedrin, the religious leaders thought they knew how the story would end. Caiaphas, the high priest, thought he knew how the story would end. Oh, I see where this is going. His mockers thought they knew how the story would end. The demons and the devil and all of hell thought they knew how the story would end, but they didn't know that he had the keys of death and hell in his back pocket. They didn't know that he said, watch. See, death used its stinger. He gave it his very best shot. And the devil may look scary, and death may seem intimidating to you while we're still on this earth. And we have sinned. And there will be a death eventually on this earth for us because the wages of sin is death. But there is life eternal in Jesus and in Christ alone. And he gives us his resurrection power. Death will not have the final say over you or over I. There's no separation between us and Jesus any longer. When I talked about waking up in the presence of Jesus, Philippians 1.21 says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. It means the moment I leave this life, I'm in the presence of the Lord. And death died on an Easter Sunday morning 2,000 years ago. Jesus says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Don't be afraid of the devil today, church. He took his best shot. He failed. You're a redeemed child of the living God. No matter what we face in this life, we will be resurrected to new life someday. Would you do something with me? Would you stand up on your feet really quick? 
I knew in my heart before this service started that there were going to be people in this room who've given up on yourself and your relationship with God because of some decisions you've made. There is nothing that you have done that disqualifies you from having the perfect will of God in your life. If you feel bad about yourself, if you feel bad about decisions you made, say there's no way to reverse this. I've already gone down this road. I've already changed my profile pic. <laughs> I've already entered the college. I've already changed my address. I've already done this. It's done. It's, it's settled. No, it's not settled. Actually, Jesus said it is finished. And what he meant by that is I have finished it. They haven't finished it. It's not finished until I say it's finished. Your story is not finished yet until Jesus gets a hold of it. You think you've made mistakes. How about the apostles, the disciples that Jesus personally mentored for three and a half years? In Luke 24, after the resurrection, did they respond the right way? No. They were fearful. They didn't even believe the report that he was alive. They thought the women were lying or crazy. It says it right here. They came back from the tomb and told all these things to the 11 and to the others. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the others who were with them told this to the apostles. They did not believe the women because their words to them seemed like nonsense. You may be struggling right now. You may have made some bad decisions in your life. But you're not an apostle that doesn't even believe Jesus is alive. God has grace for you today. He has mercy for you today. Look what else happened. John 20, 18 says, Mary Magdalene went telling the news to the disciples. I saw the master. She told them everything he said to her. And later on that day, after she tells them, she has seen Jesus and he is alive. It says, they had gathered together, but fearful of the Jews had locked all the doors inside of the house. They're afraid. They don't even trust. They're not in a room saying, leave the doors open. Jesus is alive and he'll come rescue us like he said he would. No, the apostles are afraid. Some of the greatest people of God that have ever lived are in fear after the resurrection. It says in John 20, finally the other disciple who reached the tomb first went inside, he saw and believed. And verse 9 says, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They did not even fathom and believe and take him at his word that he was going to do what he said. I find it very humble that John even wrote that because that does not reflect well on him. It's showing his honesty. Apparently, the apostles are just a bunch of losers. Apparently, they have no future. Apparently, I can see where the story is going, and I just might as well change the channel right now. No, watch till the end. Watch till the end. See, Luke 22, Peter denies Jesus three times. He had the opportunity to stand for him, but he lies three times and says, I didn't know the man. In John 20, Thomas is not even there when Jesus appears to the other disciples. Where is he? I have no idea. It was like getting a pedicure or something. I don't even get it. I don't even understand. It doesn't say where he was, but all I know is that he says, well, I don't even believe he's, he's there. I have to see it for myself. I have to touch the scars myself. And Jesus appears a week later, and he goes, oh, you want to you touch the scars? Go ahead. You got doubts about me? That's what Jesus is saying to all of us, by the way. Jesus is not af- afraid of providing proof. He says, go ahead. And he got the moniker Doubting Thomas. So apparently he's just a nothing, a nobody with the rest of the disciples. They have no future. Well, I got news for you. Those disciples were later called the men who turned the world upside down. Matthew, the tax collector, was clubbed to death in Syria 
because of his fiery preaching of the gospel. He wouldn't shut up preaching about the cross and Jesus crucified at his resurrection. They took a club and they beat him to death. Peter was in Rome preaching with such conviction about the power of Jesus' name that the Romans said, crucify him. Just like his master, he said, you will not crucify me. If you're going to crucify me, you better do it upside down because I don't even deserve to die the same death that my master died. Thomas, the one that they called a doubter, he was preaching in India and he would not stop talking about the great things that God has done. So they took spears and they speared him to death because he was preaching with boldness and he was preaching with fire. Never think that you know how the story is going to end until it's over. You better watch till the end. We have a friend here at this church that's a part of our team. He's an awesome man of God. And he shared at our men's meeting the other night the story of being a teenager and being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, and while his friends were beating someone up who had hurt his, this guy's, not his sister, but a, his friend's sister. And they were beating him and he was present while this guy was killed. It, it, it wasn't even intentional, but he was present while someone was killed and as a teenager, he got thrown in jail for manslaughter and spent years in jail. And God found him in jail and gave him hope in his heart. And he got released early out of jail. This is like 15 years ago. Started coming to City of Life. God changed his life around. He's one of the most incredible leaders in our church now. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a business owner. He's unbelievably successful. The power of God is on his life. Don't you dare look at somebody's story when it's not over yet. Until it's experienced the power of the resurrection, you better watch till the end. In the last service, we had a young man that grew up in our church and left church and didn't come back to church for years, and he's unbelievably successful in the entertainment world. He's got tens of thousands of social media followers. The guy is super, super talented. And I've watched him kind of from afar over the years, and he contacted me a couple months ago. He said, by the way, Pastor, I just want you to know, you don't think some people are watching. He said, but we're watching, we're listening. He said, we need, we need, and I, I was like, I can't even believe, I didn't even know he was still coming to church or even interested in the things of God. He's kind of out there living a completely different life. But recently, right before our men's meeting, he contacted me and said, hey, pastor, can I borrow the, the podium? I, said, I need to borrow the podium for an event that I'm doing. I, mean, I, was, I knew it wasn't going to be like this godly kind of event or whatever. But I said, sure, man, I, said, I haven't seen you in a while. I said, you can either come pick it up on Thursday, or you could come to our men's meeting on Friday if you'd like. I'd love to give it to you. I'm not saying that I'm only giving it to you if you come to the men's meeting. I'll give it to you either way, but I'd love to see you. He said, sure, I, I love, uh, he goes, it sounds like a fun time. So he shows up at our men's meeting, and we're, we're down here praying for men in the front of the room. The room is just packed out. Guys in the front just getting in the presence of God. Our team is praying for him. I look over, and he's down in the front with tears streaming down his face. And God resurrected something him in him on that night and two days ago I was looking on his social media account and he sent a message out to all of his fans he said I want to let you know that my life has changed forever and I've rededicated my life to God I've stopped drinking I'm never going to go back to the old life I lived anymore I'm a completely don't you ever judge a story until it's over with you better watch till the end God has a plan for your life and he is not done with you Daniel in the lion's den they locked him in there and look like it was over with. You better watch till the end. The children of Israel have got Pharaoh
Pharaoh's armies on one side and the Red Sea on the other. It looks like there's no hope. You better watch till the end. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the middle of their execution. The fire so hot that the men that are trying to make it hotter are dying by being next to it. The story ain't over. You better watch till the end. think you know how it ends if you think you know how it ends you don't know anything until that area has experienced the power of the resurrection your story is not finished yet until it has experienced the power of the resurrection the devil looks at your life and says I've got him addicted to sex drugs alcohol watch till the end the devil says I've got them confused about their sexuality their faith their destiny watch till the end the devil says I've got them on the verge of divorce their life falling apart watch till the end the devil says I've got your kids so far away from church they'll never come back you don't know anything about what's gonna happen until God gets a hold of somebody's heart watch Watch, watch, I've got them ready to throw it all away and take their own life. I win, says the devil. I'm going to put up a passage of scripture and I want us to read this together because I want you to believe today that sin and death have no power over you any longer. You are brand new in Christ. You are a new creature, a new creation in Jesus. And I want you to declare this out loud as a church. Together, we're going to say it together. Say it loud. Say it with conviction. Say it knowing that these words have life in them. The Bible is not just some book. The Bible is God breathing on us. So let this flow through you today as we say it together on Easter Resurrection Sunday. Come on, let's say it together. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Come on, church. Death is... Come on. sin is the sting say this part loud come on through our Lord Jesus Christ give him a shout of praise today come on he's worthy your story is not over God is not finished with you I speak life over you I speak healing over your marriage I speak restoration over your freedom from your addictions the resurrection power of Jesus is here today it's moving online let's lift our hands above our head and I encourage every person here that needs Jesus today to speak this out in faith 
Say it from your heart if you need him today. You, you're going to know that you do because the Holy Spirit is going to let you know. Say it with your heart. Say, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. I commit my life. I commit my life. To you right now. To you right now. I put my faith in you. I put my faith Only in you. Only you. Have power, power over sin and death. Sin and death. You have won the victory. You have won for the me. For me. My old life, my whole life was buried in that tomb. Was buried in that and when tomb. you resurrected, and you resurrected, I resurrected. I resurrected. My old life, my old life stayed behind. Stay behind. I am a brand new creation. I am a brand new in you. In from you. this day forward. From this day forward. I say to the doubters, say to the doubters that thought they could judge my story. That thought they could judge You better my watch till the end. You better watch till because the end. I'm living with resurrection power resurrection from this day forward from this day in forward. Jesus mighty name Jesus somebody mighty give name. God a great praise today I love you happy Easter you're a world changer watch till this concludes the teaching if you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life click on the give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.